by having people come out and really find their joy in nature. That's the way they're going to move down this continuum of outdoor engagement. And that's a lifetime relationship. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? I'm ready. Today's podcast is brought to you by San Francisco's acclaimed American Conservatory Theater. ACT presents the world premiere musical A Walk on the Moon. Based on the acclaimed film of the same name and set in the days before Woodstock, this new musical fuses the spirit of 60s folk rock with today's singer songwriter sound. A romantic journey of discovery, passion, and awakening amid a generation in revolution. A Walk on the Moon begins June 9th at ACT. For tickets, go to act-sf.org. That's act-sf.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to June and summer and the latest episode of the Midlife Mixtape podcast. I hope you've got a big month planned that includes some time to get out into the great outdoors. And uh, if you don't have some time outside planned yet, I bet you will after hearing today's guest. Rue Mapp is the founder and CEO of Outdoor Afro, a national not-for-profit organization that has successfully connected thousands of people, especially from the African-American community, to nature and the benefits of spending more time outdoors. Since Outdoor Afro's inception in 2009 as a blog, Rue has captured the attention and support of millions through a multimedia approach that is grounded in personal connections and community organizing. In 2010, Mapp was invited to the White House to participate in the America's Great Outdoors Conference and subsequently to take part in a think tank to inform the launch of the First Lady's Let's Move initiative. Okay, off topic, but did you guys see the cover of Michelle Obama's upcoming memoir? I cannot wait to read that. Rue's work has been recognized with numerous awards and distinctions, including the Route 100 as one of the most influential African Americans in the country, Outdoor Industry Inspiration Award, National Wildlife Federation Communication Award, which she received alongside President Bill Clinton, and Family Circle Magazine selected Rue as one of America's 20 most influential moms. Rue lives in Oakland, California, also known as Dub Nation. Sorry, we're in the middle of the NBA finals and I'm insufferable right now. And she's the proud mother of three active teenage children. So let's head out on the trail with Rue. So I'm here today with Rue Map of Outdoor Afro. Thank you so much for joining me, Rue. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is great. I've been reading about your organization for a while, so I was thrilled when you had time to come on the podcast. Before we start talking about outdoor advocacy and getting outside, we have to start with the key question, which is what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we're just going to get right to dating me. Um. (laughs) I'm sure I can beat you. I've seen your picture. I can beat you. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, uh, it was New Edition uh, in 1983. With my friend Denise, who was like the diehard New Edition fan, uh, I was in seventh grade, and uh, it was really exciting because we—I don't think any parents went with us—and uh, that was the Oakland Coliseum, early '80s. So, which one was your which one was your guy in New Edition? I, I still don't like any of them, honestly. Ronnie, <laughs> Bobby, or Mike? Nope, nope. <laughs> I, I mean. 
Okay, I don't know. It's okay, I'm not forcing you to make a choice. They were not my jam, but... They were Denise's jam, and that was enough. You were a good friend. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I noticed uh, when I was over on OutdoorAfro.com, and and you guys, uh, you can find Rue's work and what we'll be talking about today across all platforms at Outdoor Afro. But I I was on the website looking at a couple of the terrific blog posts you have there and noticed that one of the writers who had contributed a piece about a hike she'd been on included a trail mix, which I thought was so funny. What a great... I mean, I just never put that together. Of course, a list of songs to listen to when you hike. Now, do you listen to music when you hike or do you prefer the sounds of nature? How do you play that? Well, it depends. You know, it, uh, it can be it can be a solo experience where I want to be in the quiet of nature for meditative reasons. But if it's a, you know, a barbecue or a kickback at our local lake, you know, having some tunes to to keep that feeling of, of togetherness and, and nature going is totally appropriate. So it depends. And, you know, of course, always with respect to our neighbors who we share outdoor spaces with. But I think the trail mix is, is in this case, is really meant to evoke nature and specifically the ways that maybe Black artists have sung or written about nature to have this elevated conversation around, you know, our historic connection to the outdoors. Well, that's a great segue into telling the outdoor Afro story. So the whole thing started as a blog. And I'm curious where the original idea came from, because your background, I, I noticed you were an art history major. Did you ever think you were going to be running an outdoor advocacy program? And, you know, did you did you see it going in this direction? I'm always curious to know how people got from point A to point B. Yeah, well, you know, I did not expect that I would be right here right now and in this way. And it really started with my family. My parents were migrants from the South, Texas and Louisiana to California in search of the warmth of other suns, as uh, described in Isabel Wilkerson's book of the millions of African-Americans who came out of the South. And let's give a shout out to that book. If you have not read The Warmth of Other Suns, it's an amazing book about the Great Migration. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, please do. Please do. Because it really helped me to understand so much of the motivation why my family and so many others, you know, arrived and and, uh, and what they were looking for and what they were leaving behind, importantly. Mm. But what my parents brought with them was their love and joy for the outdoors. And even though we had a, you know, our home in Oakland, California, where I was born and raised, we had a ranch up in Lake County. And that became this hub of, of hospitality for our entire community, quite frankly. We had people from our church, from our neighborhood, extended family who would frequently go up there and find this wonderful refuge in nature where we had cows and pigs, a bountiful garden. We had almost every kind of fruit tree um, imaginable. We had you know, several grapevines. My dad actually made wine. It was this amazing synergy um, between this like rural um, setting and really literally farm to table lifestyle mm-hmm. um, that we were able to bring you know back into Oakland. And so it was really unique. It positioned me in a really unique way where it wasn't so much about you know going to programs in the outdoors, but it was also about you know this lifestyle and hand in hand with nature was hospitality, and that's 
kind of remained the thread uh, that's been consistent in the work that I do. And I grew up, you know, doing a lot of environmental education programs. I was a Girl Scout. And then I had my big aha moment in nature uh, doing an Outward Bound course at 20 years old. And I was the only African-American young woman on that trip. And it was really intimidating, but I got through it. And I got through it because my instructor told me to trust my feet. And that was a pivotal moment at the time in my life. I feel like I was ready to learn that I could just dig in and understand that I could move forward. No matter if I felt confident about the way ahead or knew what just happened, I could still pull forward in nature. I believed at that time helped me to understand that, uh, you know, it was a platform for for teaching us lessons we needed to learn. And then finally, the, the last kind of aha moment that brought us to the outdoor Afro we know it as today was out of a conversation after divorce and having three kids and, and contemplating grad school, a mentor asked me, well, you know, if time and money were not an issue, um, what would you really want to do? Because she was concerned I was going to, you know, take my kids away from my support system and be away from everything I knew to pursue this graduate degree. And she really wanted me to be clear about the why of it. Right. I I opened my mouth and my life just fell out. I said I would probably start a website to reconnect African Americans to the outdoors. And it was like this truth telling that happened in that conversation that was so powerful that it led me to go grab a Google template and just start telling the story. You know, we, we didn't have to, I didn't worry about a focus group. I didn't worry about a logo. I just started, you know, I uploaded a picture of me sitting on the side of a mountain uh, on the Sequoia Kings forest area um, on the Pacific Crest Trail and telling the story of my outward bound experience and, and winding my way back and drilling into my family history. And that was a time when social media was still very new and there wasn't a lot of clarity about how it was actually going to work in our lives. And so I was able to harness the power of social media using, you know, at the time, this very flat algorithm to reach exactly who I wanted to reach from my kitchen table to have this conversation about nature. And the way it comes together with my art history background is that people started sharing with me their stories, their videos, their images of loving the outdoors just as I had. And I realized that we actually had a visual representation problem, that mm. we weren't seeing the stories of people in the outdoors, in the publications, uh, themed publications around the outdoors of the day. And I then became very deliberate about using social media to not just talk tell stories, but to show and understanding that the power of someone seeing their own selves and women who looked like me, who had the same challenges that I had raising kids and, you know, having a, a really big life, you know, how I made it happen for myself was uh, really inspirational for people to see in images that they could relate to. And, and of course, you know, this embedded invitation in every image. And so we, we have become more than just about getting people outdoors, but now it's more so about leadership development and, and really helping to change the narrative in media. Because it's a bit of a trope, isn't it? I mean, I've seen a Saturday Night Live skit about, you know, oh my gosh, there's a black person hiking outdoors. And I hike a lot in the Oakland Hills. I see people of every you know, race when I, and, and shape and size when I'm hiking. So for me, uh, it's not 
jarring in any way, but I understand that it, it's not as common. And the idea of sharing these images and making it more, making it commonplace can lure people off the bench, right? It's exactly it. And, you know, what it is, is that just like you said, you know, my lived experience living in Oakland, um, where people of all hues live, work and play means that people are absolutely recreating, but they're recreating close to home. What you don't find and what is absolutely true is that when you get away from these urban core areas where and coastal areas where you'll find more black and brown people, um, you'll find less. You'll find less people who look like me hanging out in Yosemite, more so, of course, than ever before, but not in the same proportions of the population that you would you would expect for, say, the state of California. Right. So we, what we have to do is really break down, like, why is that? And, and it really comes down to some very practical reasons, you know, gear and equipment, like really helping people to understand, like, what they need. And do you, you know, do you have to camp or can you get a hotel room? You know, people mm-hmm. don't know that you can get hotel rooms in national parks. Um, you, you, fears and perceptions, you know, it, I've never gone to a place that many hours away from my house. Will I be welcome there? What kind of activities are there for me to enjoy and to really, ex, you know, have a, a leisure experience, uh, transportation, just, just driving to the Sierra is a challenge if you don't have a reliable car and, and public transportation is very difficult sometimes on weekends when you may have the time, but the buses aren't running to those, um, those beautiful areas close to home. But the number one reason that we found, and this is all out of the polling that we did when we had a, a big enough uh, sample size um, some years ago was, was time, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're talking about busy working families of any hue, the common challenge is how do we fit all the things we have to do in on the weekend if we're working a nine to five job? So that's when Outdoor Afro decided to develop leadership that would help tackle those barriers for people and, and really package outdoor experiences together in a way that made them sustainable for, for busy working families to participate in. And then once they've done it together, then they've had they have a template to continue to do it on their own. And we're so thrilled about the ways that, you know, people are they're getting out without us. And that's really the point. We're really trying to help restore outdoor leadership back to the home and make it less about, you know, saving inner city kids from, you know, right. their neighborhood and taking them to some remote place and expecting them to have a you know, a transformational experience. Memorable, probably, yes. Um, But it's not the only way, especially considering kids go back home and they don't have always the uh, agency to uh, affect how time and money is spent in the household. And so by us really focusing in on a multi-generational experience in the outdoors, we feel that 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 creates a more sustainable way for people to go again and again just as I did as a child. Right. Now, my next question almost does not need asking in that you and I are talking a couple weeks after uh, a lady called the cops on some folks who are having a barbecue down at Lake Merritt in Oakland, which if you have seen the meme, if you've seen the video of this woman, let me just tell you, there's always somebody barbecuing at Lake Merritt. I don't care whether briquettes are acceptable or not. There's always somebody using them there. So this lady 
I'm sure you've seen it, made a big stink, call the cops on people living their lives on a Sunday afternoon. So my question is, what is it in 2018 that makes the mission of Outdoor Afro especially important right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me, I, I took that so deeply personal for a lot of reasons. One, you know, I've, I, I, my earliest memories of, of hanging out at the lake is being a toddler with my big sister, mm-hmm. enjoying you know, cookouts and picnics and things like that and losing a tooth at the playground there. So, you know, like, trauma. it's like one of those places that I, there's not a day, if you're an Oakland person, there's not a day that goes by that you don't say the lake. Right. Just think about it. Somehow the lake comes up in conversation or it's a reference point for something. Um, you know, I live on the other side of the lake. Right. It's a part of the city's heartbeat, um, ecological heartbeat. It's also the oldest wild sanctuary, uh, wildlife sanctuary in the country. That's right. And it's, it's, it's along the Pacific flyway that, that is very important for uh, migratory birds to stop by in this rich uh, biodiverse landscape to rest and refuel over winter. And your car will tell the story when you drive away from the lake of that migratory, <laughs> that migratory yes, exactly. flyway. Exactly. And so so I, I understand the environmental sensitivities of that particular region. And I also understand the challenges of the city to provide infrastructure that help people to uh, dispose of their charcoals uh, properly and not dump them in the lake, which has happened uh, quite a bit and has, has an impact on that ecology. So I feel like in this case, the premise was not wrong. It was how she weaponized environmental concern to, to uh, control people's behavior. And that is not what this party is all about. When I think about the work I do, it's so much, this is a love story. This is not a, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do because you better, you know, do it my way. And if you don't, then I'm going to, you know, find a way for you to pay for that. I mean, that was such a, for me, it was such an overreach and the, and the desire to kind of hang out to witness harm potentially being meted out to these folks just having, trying to, trying to have a good time was very disturbing and triggering of the history we have in the country where we do have a legacy of black bodies outside being harmed with, with people spectating, you know, and literally having a picnic uh, just to see what, you know, out of curiosity and glee, you know, how, how it would all unfold. And so there was just, I think we have a lot to learn from this and I'm still trying to unpack it myself, but we, we have a lot of challenges still with this notion of, of be, being black and just being outside being okay. And so that's why Outdoor Afro exists to create a way of not separating um, or segregating, but to really create just a, a, a safe place, a welcoming place that also weaves in conservation education. We weave in conservation ethic and leave no trace in everything we do. And so I feel like we've got opportunities to educate people about things versus bash them over the head with, with, with our knowledge and, and recognize that, you know, if people make small changes, you know, if our city made small changes, it would have a tremendously beneficial uh, environmental impact potentially. Like for instance, what would be, you know, one solution is, is having, you know, citizen rangers at the, 
at the uh, at the lake on busy weekends and mm-hmm. and helping people to understand the importance of where they are and where they're recreating and and just understanding our place as humans like we are a part of the ecosystem and it's not this hierarchy that necessarily has to control our behavior and uh, and we need joy now more than ever and togetherness and I it, it pains me when the outdoors is not that place for people. One of the things that I think is so interesting about the materials you have on Outdoor Afro too is you point to the fact that there's a lot of power in the black and brown experience in nature in terms of protecting vulnerable public lands. And so how do you how do you see that as part of your mission? Well, it absolutely goes hand in hand that if you have a relationship and a care for a place, then you'll want to protect it. You'll want to vote in, in a direction that preserves, that funds, uh, that creates more access um, to it. And so I feel like oftentimes people want groups, specifically communities of color, to have conservation behavior in the absence of the relationship. And I think whether it be barbecues or bird watching or uh, bicycling or hiking or whatever, like it, that needs to be, we need to nurture ways to interact with the outdoors. Like for instance, when I see kids out picking up trash or, you know, cigarette butts from a beach, my first question is, have these kids played here before? <laughs> is their first introduction to this place work that, you know, gets captured on film and, you know, and makes for great you know, newsletters and final reports, you know, from, from well-meaning organizations, right? But that's not how we want communities to show up in nature. We want people to show up in, with agency and empowerment. And we feel that by having people come out and really find their joy in nature, that's the way they're going to move down this continuum of outdoor engagement. And that's a lifetime relationship, right? It's not something that we, you know, can expect to happen in a grant year or, um, you know, on our own timeline. It's because it's not, a, it's not about transaction. It's, it's about, you know, a transformative relationship. Right. So let's creak on over here, because if you were in seventh grade in 1983, I am older than you. So, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that you think, you know, my goodness, I've dated you. But my question is, for people in midlife, how important is it to have that relationship with the outdoors? And I, of course, have my own answer to this in that I try to get out and hike at least four days a week in the Oakland Hills, because I don't know how I would stay sane otherwise. So I have a viewpoint, but I'm curious to hear yeah. an informed viewpoint versus mine. I think yours is absolutely well-informed to underscore the reasons why it is really a place for us to get ourselves recentered. You know, I feel like in the hard landscapes and the, and the Oakland Hills actually is where I went after Ferguson with about 30 people to do healing hikes, because, you know, in, in our day to day hustle and bustle, we sometimes will forget who we are. We have demands from children. We may have a relationship that we're nurturing uh, with a significant other. Uh, we may have elder parents that need our, our love and care. And so it's a wonderful way to carve out some time for yourself, but also a wonderful way to share time with those who, who you love in a way where you can really put some attention on yourself, some attention on the other. I mean, some of the best conversations I've had have been on the trail, but also some of my best 
aha epiphanies about what it is I need to be doing or or what it is I need to not be doing have come from solitary time on the trail. And so it's a real salute to self-care at the end of the day. And it's it's not only physically a good thing to get out and keep moving, um, but it's also spiritually too. It gives us, you know, that 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 chance to, you know, tap into our faith, whatever that may be. Uh, and, and and really remember the, the, the layers of, in which, you know, we we exist in this world. Um, so I just I continue to practice what I preach. Nature is a teacher. Nature is a healer. And um, and, I, and, I, and I, I, you know, I couldn't champion it for other people if I didn't believe it was true for myself. So for someone who is pressed for time with the older parents and the kids and work and everything else, what's your minimum dose? What is it that somebody could go do if they're listening to this podcast right now and they, they want to feel more connected, but they just don't have a lot of time to do it? What do you recommend? Yeah, stick close to home. Get in touch with your local park and rec department. Or if you have a regional park, like we do in the San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay Regional Parks, there, uh, of course, are tons of trail networks uh, in the hills where we live. But you can get online and you can actually plug in the length of the hike that you that you want to do or the, the uh, difficulty of the hike. There are organized hikes happening usually in our public parks and public lands. So plug into those. And of course, you can plug into Outdoor Afro. Always let people know that they don't have to have an Afro to be a part of Outdoor Afro, that we have such a wonderful network of diverse support in our within this focused but non-exclusive conversation about Black people and nature. And so what, that's really our expertise is uh, creating opportunities that people don't have to think too hard about, especially if you've never done things before and you can do it in a supportive environment with people who are like-minded and who might you know, share your level of, of um, experience to make it less intimidating. We have we have leaders now in nearly thirty states. We have oh my gosh, that's and our network has got north of thirty thousand people who are plugged in and ready to go. So um, our number one network now that just surpassed the Bay Area flagship is Washington D.C. Um, and so there's like thirty five hundred people plus in both the Bay Area and in D.C. who find ways to get together on these events at some point or another throughout the year. And then we are all over the state, all over the United States. So if you go to OutdoorAfro.com, it will geolocate you and you'll be able to see your where your nearest Outdoor Afro network is. And if there isn't one, there's an invitation to apply to be a volunteer leader nice. for a network. So, so we've got we've got a lot of options for people. I mean, anything from like orchard fruit picking to you know to climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, which I have a group of people doing next month. I mean, we've got this full range of engagement for all abilities and interests in the outdoors, and so you don't have to even think of yourself as an outdoorsy person to find your lane uh, with outdoor Afro. As someone who is yourself in the middle phase of life, you know, of an era where new edition was your best friend's jam, um, how do you approach the challenge of the work you're doing differently than you might have even five or 10 years ago? You know, what special skills or experiences can you bring to bear that make you, to make you specially skilled for this? 
Well, I think that midlife is a wonderful time uh, for the streaming together of all the parts of who you are. And for me, Outdoor Afro is not only a job to do, it's a real refuge, I feel, from a lot of the, the ways that professional strife, I feel, is is present for a lot of people, especially women, women of color in middle age, in you know corporate settings that may not be um, as friendly and welcoming of, of your experience or or your salary requirements for that matter. So so for me, it's it's the first job I've done where I feel like I get to be all the parts of who I am and I don't have to leave anything at the door. Usually, you know, as women, um, you know, sometimes we have to leave parts of our lives um, outside. People are not really, they don't want to hear about your kids. They don't want to, they don't want you to be too smart. They don't want you to be too black. They don't want you to be too much into the outdoors or tech or whatever it is that makes you, you. And so to have the freedom to show up as fully as I do, it 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 has created this this chance for me to be more creative um, and to tap into my wisdom and experience in ways that I w- would not be able to do in a classic corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just it, that's what's special about this time. It's a sweet time actually because I feel like I'm you know I'm, I'm wiser than I've ever been. But I have, I still have the gift of time to really affect change in the world, um, and and to have, you know, of course, the energy to to do that, right? And just, I don't know, just feel, I just feel like the wisdom piece is is front and center in ways like never before. But you know, when I was thinking about midlife in the context of this show, I was like, yeah, I guess that is me. I mean, I am, I, I'm, I am probably in my third quarter. If I'm lucky, I could be in my fourth quarter. I don't know. And this idea of midlife, you know, is something that I never really associated with me. And, and I was just talking to one of my friends who I just bumped into at the coffee shop next door who went to junior high with me. That's the way Oakland is. We run into people from high in junior high all the time. And and we're like, we are not midlife like the way that we thought our parents were midlife. Right. You know, we feel we feel like there's there's an opportunity now for more vibrancy to show through in our lives that we're permitted to have that is is a real privilege. And and I always remind my kids, you know, that to be a, a founder and CEO of a national not-for-profit organization as a black woman in this country is a pretty historic situation because, you know, 60 years ago, those options were not available to me. You know, we were just living in a very different society. And I'm not saying that we don't have a long way to go, right? but the fact that I have these possibilities that didn't even exist before, that hopefully that I've opened the door wide enough for others to come through is, uh, is deeply inspiring to me. And, and I, and I recognize the gift of that now more than ever. Well, I love that idea of recognizing while you're in it that you've got the gift of time. You know, I yes. mean, that, uh, so many of us just kind of look back and say, oh, wow, I should have done something more. And uh, to know that you've got it is important. And it, it induces you to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. So last question is, what advice do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Or would you give people younger than you? That you have everything you need right now and and not to let other people's perceptions of you words about you affect what you think of yourself 
Um, I, I just remember being 22 years old. I had, you know, a real crappy job and a really crappy manager. And I just let everything she did and say, just, just go right to the heart. Get right under your skin, right? Everything. It, and, and I was miserable and I didn't, and, and I look back at that and, you know, it was all stuff that she was going through, right? Mm-hmm. I can see, I can see where she was in her life and, and projecting a lot of that stuff onto, you know, a very young and impressionable person wasn't, wasn't cool at all. But I didn't, I just did not have the wherewithal to be like, Hey, this isn't about me. This is about you. And I don't have to take that on. I don't have to let what other people do and say, create meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's good advice. And then I guess the last word would be everybody put on your shoes and get outside, breathe in some fresh air and uh, get a move on, right? Yeah. And and find your community, find your tribe to do that with. And start by going to OutdoorAfro.com. Find Rue on... Yeah, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have our blog slash website. There are a lot of ways to stay in touch. And I I'm on the speaking circuit and, you know, definitely help get the word out as much as possible and make friends all over. So this, this work is truly a gift to do and share and, and, uh, and I hope we can stay in touch. I hope so too. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. When Rue and I were chatting, I mentioned that my daily hike in the Oakland Hills is the way that I recharge and get myself centered again. People don't often realize that the same city that birthed hyphy and midwifed hip hop has some of the most beautiful and unspoiled city parklands in the country. But I wanted to know where you guys recharge in nature, so I asked over on social media, and Jennifer said the beach on Lake Michigan. Melissa also likes a beach. Alexandra finds her nature cure in the shade of trees. Amy wishes she could go to Montana. More often, I'd like to go to Montana even once. But I love this one from Ron who said, I work in a government office building in downtown Baton Rouge. I usually bring my lunch every day, but when I need a nature recharge, I grab a sandwich and fries from Poor Boy Lloyd's, find a bench on the levee, and watch the mighty Mississippi River roll on as I eat. Raise your hand if you want Ron to take us with him next time. What about you? Where do you go when you need to take in some big, deep lungfuls of fresh air? Let me know via email at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me on the socials at midlifemixtape. Join me next time when I talk with singer-songwriter Jeffrey Foucault, whose new album Blood Brothers comes out on June 22nd. I've had the good fortune to see Jeffrey perform his distinctive blend of folk, blues, country, rock many times over the years, but this is the first time I'll get to ask him about the evolution of his creative process, how he balances life on the road with being a husband and dad, and of course, his first concert. So join me to hear more from this super talented and very smart performer. Have a good week, you guys. I wanna be, I wanna be free by